Charles Woodson, Desmond Howard, Denard Robinson, Timonga Bianca Batuka, from Yost to Arbaugh, passed down from generation to generation, Michigan football has stood the test of time. What's that feeling you get when you catch your first glimpse of the big house? When you hear, and take the field. When you see the team emerge from the tunnel, sprint across the field, and touch that famed M-Go Blue banner. Saturdays in the fall, tailgates with friends and family, favorite players, favorite teams, and unforgettable moments. A lifetime of memories. College football in 2020 may be unique, but it has arrived at the corner of Stadium and Main, which is where you can find Michael Spath and Justin Rowe sharing their analysis, their stories, and their emotions about this year's Wolverine. All right, welcome back to the Stadium in Maine podcast. I am Justin Rowe. I am joined by Michael Spath here. It is October 20th and Tuesday of game week for game one of the Michigan football season. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Yesterday was interesting learning just a little, a few tidbits uh, from Jim Harbaugh, his, uh, his Monday press conference. I say a few because when you, uh, you know, I was in the media for five years, um, you know, covering Jim Harbaugh, you don't get much from him. You can ask a lot of questions. You don't get very much out of it. Justin, what was the most interesting thing that he said yesterday for you? I think the most interesting thing for me was that he actually gave us a good look at the offensive line. Um, so he, how, how many times have you ever seen him actually give a, a full, you know, offensive line or any position where he says, hey, here are the actual starters. Have you ever heard that before? No, but, well, I mean, I have. I think I have. And I tell you what, when he does it, Justin, he does it when there is a clear demarcation line between the starters and the backups. And so you're talking about, he said, Andrew Stuber's going to start at right guard and Chuck yep. Filiaga is going to start at left guard. Andrew Vistardis is going to start at center, Ryan Hayes on the left side, and, and uh, Jalen Mayfield on the right side. I think when he is willing to commit to those five guys, he did throw Carson Barnhart in there too. He did. When he commits to those guys, I think it's because in his mind, they have separated enough that he doesn't feel like he needs to, you know, he, he needs to stroke egos or still mm -hmm. uh, fuel a competition that's going on during game week. So I think that's why he mentioned – that's why he named the five starters. And, 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 Justin, on our podcast yesterday, you spoke a little bit about Ed Warner and the confidence you have in him uh, as the offensive line coach and getting the most out of his talent. So do you have – I mean, looking at this group, I mean, you have, you know, two highly thought-of redshirt sophomores uh, on, on the bookends. You have a pair of redshirt juniors at guard. Is it impossible to say – that that this offensive line might be better than what people expect it to be i don't i think that's a, a good take i think that that is something that you know we we did just talk about this where ed warner has he sometimes finds the diamonds in the rough and turns them into into something great and so i can definitely see this group 
the, the kind of unsung group of the Michigan football team in 2020. And I can see them being pretty dang good. Um, you know, Andrew Vistardis, although he hasn't had a whole lot of game experience, he's been around this program for a long time now. And there is something to say about how, about a, a guy that's been in practice for that long and been around the program, you know, been around Ed Warner, been around this offense and, and gotten the experience that way, although it hasn't been in games. And then I think just having Jalen Mayfield back is, is so significant. I know he's just from a talent perspective, obviously he's very good and he's going to be an NFL probably first round draft pick in the future. Um, but as far as leading this team, leading that group um, from the, from that tackle position, I think that's huge as being an, an, an anchor on that, uh, on that O-line. Yeah, you know what I like about this group is that at the two ends in Ryan Hayes and Jalen Mayfield, um, you you have these these guys who are undersized coming out of high school. Uh, that was a good thing. What was some was a trend that we've seen in college football, uh, and even to some extent in the NFL, where instead of having uh, the, the six foot five, three hundred and forty pounder who already has all that mass on them. It allows you to build that guy up with the right type of body with, uh, you know, putting the, the 30 or 40 pounds on him with, you know, the, the, the combination of, of fat and muscle that you want to see. Mm-hmm. And you don't lose that athleticism. These, these two guys should be uh, arguably the most athletic tackles that Michigan has had, at least of the Harbaugh era and, and well beyond that. Uh, so that's fairly exciting because you need that in, in a, a pass happy and a, uh, speed and space. You need to, be able to get those guys out there and block downfield. And then when you look at the guard position, Stuber and, and Chuck Filiaga, all throughout their careers, the same thing has been said about them. They, they don't have a ton of playing experience, but both of them have been renowned, even coming out of high school, for being like these physical monsters, just these really strong guys. And that's what you want out of your guards. You want your guards to be able to pull. You want your guards to be able to pave the way for the running game. And so I like the physicality of the interior. Vistardis, a former walk-on, a guy now on scholarship for his, his final year. I mean, I, I look at what they did again with the Glasgow brothers. and I know the Glasgow brothers are one of the biggest freak things that have ever happened to Michigan football. But I, but I think that if you are a, a walk-on and you, you beat out a scholarship guy, that says a lot about who you are and about your potential. Um, so I'm, I, I'm slightly more optimistic and confident in this offensive line than I think I should be. Uh, and, and that gives me some hope for this first game against Minnesota. It gives me some hope for, for the rest of the season. You know, Justin, from Harbaugh's press conference, uh, if there was, I don't want to say a concerning thing, but he did talk about the, the, the secondary, right? And he mentioned – you know, they asked him about who the starting cornerback is opposite Vincent Gray. Uh, he mentioned Jamon Green. He mentioned Sammy Faustin, who's just recently in the last week and a half come over from safety. Uh, he mentioned uh, DJ Turner and Jalen Perry. How are you feeling about the secondary after hearing from Harbaugh on Monday? You know, I'm not feeling any better than I did a week ago. That's for sure. It doesn't seem like anybody has separated themselves from that group there. And I could really see this happening here in, uh, in game one is maybe they throw, you know, a couple of those guys out there and see what happens, um, which is, you know, 
that in normal years, that'd be a great way to do it against Middle Tennessee State or Appalachian State or, you know, one of the cupcakes at the beginning. But when week one, you have to go against Rashad Bateman, one of the, the best uh, receivers in the country. There's no time to, to, you know, get guys up to speed or, or try out some things. So I'm very, very, definitely very concerned about, uh, about that other corner spot there. Um, but I will say Josh Ross did get in on the, uh, on the action today on the press conference, and he really said uh, big things about Vincent Gray. So I do think that other side is going to be um, well-manned. And I think, you know, out of the four secondary spots, I think we've got three really good guys. Vincent Gray, Brad Hawkins, and Dax Hill, I think, are, are pretty locked down and, and will be able to hold their own. But with that being said, the other side could be, could be extorted, could be exposed in, uh, in week one and beyond further into the season. Okay, so here's my theory on the secondary. And it's, it's, a lot of it is going to be go as Vincent Gray goes. Um, Rashad Bateman, uh, you know, is a terrific wide receiver, you know, a, a, a certain first-round pick in the 2021 NFL draft. And so we're going to see real quickly if Vincent Gray is capable of matching up with him. Uh, we might see, you know, we, we might see in this game, Dax Hill match up with him sometimes, uh, maybe in critical third down situations. Uh, certainly if Rashad Bateman ever lines up in the slot, uh, maybe as they get into the red zone a little bit, you want to put Dax Hill on him. Um, you know, the opposite cornerback spot, the reason I'm not as concerned as I would have been five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, is there is a lot less, there are far fewer teams in college football today that have a traditional number one, number two, number three receiver. What you generally have is you have, maybe you have a really good number one, but then you just have all these guys that are playing, that are mix and match, that are playing in the slot, um, that are, you know, that are lining up outside. And I think that Dax Hill, and I think that Brad Hawkins, the two safeties, are going to pull a lot of this responsibility. I think Dax Hill especially is going to be someone who, as we saw a year ago, spends a lot of time lined up opposite uh, the, the slot. And if that's the case and he's guarding, well, they don't play Purdue, but he ends up on a Rondell Moore uh, more consistently. You know, he ends up on, uh, you know, Whoop, uh, Whoop Filer or Wap Filer from Indiana a little bit more consistently because that guy plays in the slot. You know, that's going to negate a little bit of this idea that Michigan's weaker at the second cornerback position uh, because the second cornerback position just doesn't have the role that it did. Uh, certainly, certainly in my, you know, my heyday when I was really watching Michigan football in the, in the 90s and in the 2000s, so I guess I'm a little bit less concerned because I think that you have two dynamic safeties for Michigan this year, and they're going to have a lot of responsibility uh, both in coverage and playing that center field position, Justin. And, and I think that Dax Hill and Brad Hawkins are both a pretty big upgrade over Josh Metellus, actually. And so I, I, I liked Josh Metellus. I think he was a good guy, but – I, he wasn't up to par in a lot of in a lot of aspects as far as talent on the field and making plays. So I think that's a big upgrade there. Um, it, it'll still be I, one thing that I am concerned about too is there's a new guy at the at the Viper position as well, and it seems like sometimes Don Brown gets caught with one of those fast receivers on that Viper, one of those linebacker positions, and so I, I can see maybe 
some of these, you know, PJ Fleck and their uh, new off- offensive coordinator trying to make some matchup uh, disadvantages for Michigan there, uh, getting some different guys on Rondell or uh, sorry, Rashad Bateman. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, I do think that it, it's going to be, you know, it, it'll be interesting just on both defenses for Michigan and Minnesota. Both of them might have some breakdowns early this in this uh, game uh, that normally wouldn't happen in a, in a regular season. So, yeah, as I said on Monday, Justin, I think, I think this idea that we're going to see this low-scoring game is unless it's just other, utterly muck on Saturday, and I haven't looked at the forecast yet, uh, I don't think that's the case at all. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see a high-scoring game uh, because that has been the trend in college football so far. The offenses are ahead of the defenses uh, pretty significantly so. Um, it's just hard to stop prolific offenses nowadays. And, and so that, you know, that kind of leads us into our, our conversation today a little bit is, what is what you know? What is the biggest concern Michigan has facing Minnesota? And the, and the flip side, what should Minnesota be concerned about uh, the most? And and I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I think Minnesota should be concerned about. If this offense for Michigan, with the playmakers that they have, uh, at uh, in Giles Jackson and Mike Sainer still, uh, in Joe Milton, in in, in Nick Eubanks at tight end and Chris Evans at the running back position. I don't think, you know, Minnesota has uh, the, the type of athletes that if Michigan decides that they are going to properly utilize the immense skill that Harbaugh and company have been recruiting these last few years, I don't think there's any way that Minnesota can stop Michigan's offense. I really don't. I mean, I think this is a game where Michigan could – put up 42 points um, in this one and just be just be slinging it around, using the, the read option uh, to the best of their ability, getting the most out of Evans and, and Zach Charbonnet. You know, there's just – when I look at this Minnesota defense, I'm looking around to see, like, who are their, who are their guys that can, that can lock somebody up? Who are their guys that, uh, they're, they're, that are going to make, you know, make plays in the front seven? I'm just not seeing them right now. So I think this this Michigan offense could be too much for Minnesota to handle on Saturday. And, you know, one big thing for Minnesota's defense, they are replacing seven starters from last year's defense. So that that's seven new guys that are seeing a brand-new quarterback that nobody has any film on. Um, so I think that, you know, especially in the first half, they're not going to know any tendencies of Joe Milton. They're not going to know any tendencies of a lot of these new wide receivers and this offensive line. So, um, you know, the playbook, as far as Josh Gaddis has it, should be wide open. He's got, you know, there's no direction for him. He can go really any way he wants to, which I think fares well for the Wolverines. He won't be holding anything back. One of my biggest oh. beefs, uh, just as when I hear fans say, especially early season, well, they're just holding it back for the Big Ten or they're holding it back for Ohio State. As we discussed on Monday's episode, you know, you've got to win this game. If you don't win this game, you've got to run the table uh, to fulfill your, 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 your hopes and dreams in 2020. So there's no holding back when your opening game is against the Golden Gophers, uh, right. who is arguably one of the top two teams in the Big Ten West. The entire playbook should be uh, available to Joe Milton, to Josh Gaddis, and to this Michigan offense. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so um, Jim Harbaugh did talk about Joe Milton a little bit. He gave him some high praise. He did. He gave Cade McNamara some high praise too. And so that he's done that throughout his, his tenure here at Michigan to just about every quarterback he's stood behind them. But um, Josh Ross gave Joe Milton uh, some, uh, some praise as well and said, he's a very special player. So um, it, it hasn't been just the hype for Michigan's quarterback this year has come from inside Schembechler Hall, which we haven't seen a whole lot before. It usually is coming from the ESPN media, you know, all of, uh, you know, Sports Illustrated, Fox Sports, um, fans alike. It, it, but it hasn't really come out as much from inside Schembechler as it has this year. So that that's interesting to me to, to hear all these his fellow players and coaches talk so much about Joe Milton and then Cade McNamara too. Cause I do believe that um, it's necessary with Milton being a dual threat, you know, he could get banged up at some point and they're going to maybe need Cade to step in. And so without Dylan McCaffrey in the mix, he's going to be, he's going to have to be ready to go at any, at any point here. Um, and so one, one point I wanted to say about uh, Milton too, when we were talking about it uh, yesterday was, there is no Dylan McCaffrey, you know, breathing down his neck here where if he feels that he has a, a bad series or two early, they may put in Dylan or, or, or something to that effect. Do you think that has a, is going to have a positive effect on how Joe Milton goes into this game and, and the confidence that he's got? Well, I'll say, I'll say this. I think there are quarterbacks, the truly great quarterbacks don't need external motivation. They don't need – uh, someone competing with them to get to bring out their best. They don't. They don't need, uh, you know, coaches' praise to bring out their best. We don't know. I mean, you and I haven't spent any considerable time with Joe Milton. Um, I've never shaken his hand. Uh, I'm not, I know I'm not allowed to do that right now, but I've, I've never really gotten to know the guy, so I don't know him. But you know, Devin Gardner, someone who I worked with, you know, pretty extensively on WTK on my show. Uh, a friend of mine, he did work with. Joe Milton a lot this this summer and he's really impressed and he's convinced that this kid has all the tools not just physically but mentally and emotionally to go out there and perform and so that excites me god it's just it's it's Tuesday Justin can we get to Saturday so we can <laughs> see whether or not this kid is worth the hype and I don't want to I don't want to like just smash him I don't want fans to jump off the bandwagon I know we talked about this a little bit yesterday you know, how long will he have? What type of leash does he get uh, before they're calling for Kate McNamara? I will say this. I think a lot of times at Michigan, I think a lot of times in college football, at least in the past, there's been that backup quarterback. There's always been a, like some level of excitement about when Shea Patterson uh, was the last two years at Michigan. There was a big crowd that was excited about Dylan McCaffrey because of what he showed in the opening game against Notre Dame in 2018. Or there was a group that was excited about Joe Milton because of the physical skills. Back in 2016, 2017, with Wilton Spate, you know, there was some hype about John O'Corn as a transfer from Houston. There was some excitement about Brandon Peters, who was the first four-star quarterback signed or recruited and signed by Jim Harbaugh. So there's always been a little bit of love for the backup. Nothing against Cade McNamara because I think he's probably better than what he's given credit for. But in this particular case, I think most fans view Joe Milton as a far superior quarterback to Caden McNamara. So I don't think there's going to be this, hey, Joe Milton had a tough series or a tough quarter or a tough half put in the backup. I don't 
there's not this rancor. There's not this, you know, calling for, for McNamara. If it was McCaffrey, this entire dynamic coming into the season would be different than it is right now. But I, for that reason, I think Joe Milton is going to have a lot of time. Um, I, I should say a long honeymoon, not just with his coaches, but particularly with the fans and the media because they don't think there's a number two waiting there that could be better than the guy that's starting. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's going to benefit Joe Milton in his confidence level. I think it's just going to benefit the Michigan offense in general because they know that Milton is the guy and he's their leader and there's nobody, you know, sometimes when you have two good quarterbacks like that, the locker room can kind of split um, people, guys take uh, a one guy's uh, side and the other guys take up the other guy's side. And so I think just, just in general for that offensive uh, room in Schembechler, I think it's a good thing that there's just one guy that's going to be the leader of this team and, and nobody really is second guessing that. So um I'm hoping that we see that confidence in game one here against Minnesota. And I do hope that the, the playbook is wide open. I hope they take a couple shots deep early. Um, and, and so we kind of talked about how we think this is going to be a shootout, a, a bit of a shootout compared to other Michigan games and, and how they've fared in the past. But um, is there anything else that you see that could be different or anything unique for game one here that uh, fans are going to see from Michigan? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm really curious to see what type of running game Minnesota has. Uh, and if that if that challenges Michigan. P.J. Fleck's a pretty smart guy, and I think he knows what he has in Tanner Morgan, one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten. If, if I'm P.J. Fleck, I'm throwing the ball 45 or 50 times in this game and essentially saying, I think your secondary is a weakness. I don't think you have anybody that can guard my number one, and I'm going to make you prove it. Um, I don't think that they'll test Michigan's front seven. I mean, when you look at this on paper, uh, with Aiden Hutchinson, Quiddy Pay, Carlo Kemp, Chris Hinton up front, McGrone, Josh Ross, and Michael Barrett, and linebacker, I wouldn't test them. I, I, would, I would go after that secondary in the first quarter, in the second quarter, in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter. Um, and so I'm just curious to see what the Minnesota game plan is and if, if they're thinking along the same lines we are that sure, maybe maybe Dax Hill makes a play, maybe Vincent Gray makes a play, but I'm going to bet overall that this secondary is not up to snuff right now, and I'm going to continue to go after him, and I'm going to throw the ball deep. I wrote in on Wolverine Digest, Justin, uh, one of our, 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 our questions for, for Monday uh, was, what is your, your, your guaranteed prediction uh, for this game? And from mine, it was, Whoever wins the big play battle wins this game because I think both teams are going to take their shots downfield um, thinking that their opportunities against the opposing secondary and what they have in the quarterback and in the receiver room uh, to get the job done. So that's what I'm going to be looking for as we are, whatever it says, three, four days out uh, from, uh, from Saturday's game. Let me ask you this, Justin. Um, as we're as we're looking at you know what Harbaugh said today and what we I'm sorry what he said on Monday what he learned what we learned on Monday uh, one of the big things we learned was official official no more questions about it Nico Collins is out uh, Josh Gaddis had maybe hinted that he was going to come back a couple of weeks ago but Nico Collins who was slated to wear the number one jersey uh, finished his career on a 37 catch junior season. 
I think his last two seasons combined, he had 72 combined catches uh, and 12 touchdowns. How, you know, how much are you left wanting more with the news that Nico Collins is officially gone from Michigan? You know what? It, it helps a lot that Michigan does have a lot of depth and some really good receivers uh, that are, that are behind Nico and, and can fill in, but man, don't you just want to watch Joe Milton sling it 50 yards to Nico one time? I mean, that's yeah. really just what I, I was hoping to see. And, and I think every Michigan fan is thinking the same. And so um, it, it's really disappointing to, to not be able to see Nico Collins, first of all, wearing that number one, anytime the, the, a Michigan wide receiver is wearing that number one, it's just a, a great sight. Um, but then for him to, you know, with a, to finally have a quarterback that has the strength, has the arm strength, has the, the athletic ability to get him the ball more. And maybe Josh Gaddis would have utilized that more to get him the ball, you know, to open up that playbook and take some more shots deep. And now he opts out. And so um, it is disappointing as a fan to see that. And, and I think it's disappointing for, you know, all of the big 10. It, it would have been, it would have been uh, interesting to see, you know, if we go into if we go into game one and Jim or Joe Milton is really clicking on all cylinders like everyone's talking about him doing and these receivers are are great, I still think that people are going to say, "Holy smokes, what could this team have been with Nico Collins too, with that threat on the outside that you can throw it up to essentially every time and he's going to come down with it seventy five percent of the time." So. Um, it, even, even if the Michigan's offense excels, I still think there's that what if in the back of every Michigan fan's mind saying, oh man, dang, if only we had him, it could really, really take us even to the next level. Well, I look at what LSU had with, uh, you know, Jamar Chase last year and Justin Jefferson and think, why could that have not have been Nico Collins this season for Michigan? Mm -hmm. Obviously, the numbers wouldn't have been the same. They played, what, 15 games for LSU last year. At most, are going to play 11 uh, for, for Michigan this season. Um, but it's just left with the idea that he was capable of so much more. Uh, you know, when you, when you look at the, 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 some of the plays, the, the, the fades of the end zone where he went up and caught it, um, you know, you look at the, the big play against Indiana that he showed off. He had the speed. Um, you know, he really got hurt by inadequate quarterback play and the fact that they didn't throw the ball as much as uh, most teams in college football. I, I was excited to see him, as you said, wear that number one. You know, could he have a, a Braylon Edwards-like impact um, on this football team, on Joe Milton? Could he, could he beat David Terrell uh, following along, you know, J.U. Chesson from 2015? where he was a quarterback's best friend. I mean, if you're Joe Milton and, and, and you're, if there's any given play where you're like, oh, I'm a little bit in trouble, I don't really see an open guy, I'm just going to chuck the ball up in the air. Mm -hmm. Well, he could have just chucked it up and, and hoped that Nico Collins was going to bring it down, and most times he would have. He doesn't really have that guy right now, and maybe that's not necessary, but I'm watching a lot of college football, and there are, uh, there are receivers like that. Um, on almost every team, someone that's just going to go up and make a play. And, yeah, it's, it's just unfortunate because there was so much more to give. There was so much more production to be had uh, that Nico Collins was capable of. And he's going to walk away from Michigan kind of in that Devin Funches mold. Mm -hmm. When you talk about the great wide receivers at Michigan, you're never going to mention Devin Funches. Never. 
it's just he's just not going to come up, you know. And and Nico Collins is the same way because the numbers are they're just just not there. Seventy two catches the last two seasons combined. I mean that should be one great season. If he goes out there and has seventy five catches this year, even with a nine game season, a thousand yards, uh, ten touchdowns. I mean all those numbers he was capable of, and instead. He's just going to kind of fall by the wayside in the annals of Michigan football because uh, that's what happens when you don't produce at the highest level. Yeah, it is unfortunate because he could have been, you know, say he goes out and balls out this year, he could become one of those Michigan legends. And so um, it, it's, it is unfortunate. And so I'll ask you this because the, the general consensus uh, from draft analysts is that he's not a, a first round yeah. draft pick right now. So yeah. Do you do you think that was a, a poor decision on his part not to come back and try and get some more game film, maybe be the guy with a with finally a quarterback that can get him the ball on the on the run and drop it in? I, I think it was a poor decision, but I'll, I'll say this, Justin: you, the one thing you and I don't know is we don't know what his family circumstances are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know if if there was some concerns about playing this season. Uh, with the coronavirus, because maybe there's a family member that he's close to um, that, you know, he sees, sees often that uh, is vulnerable. I don't know from that perspective. So I don't want to, I don't want to crush the guy for making a bad financial decision. Um, You know, the one thing too is, is depending on the financial situation, um, you know, he can have an agent at this point and the agent can front him a whole bunch of money. You know, that agent can give him, uh, you know, a couple thousand dollars here and there, uh, which he couldn't do if he was, if he was still a Michigan senior, uh, so maybe that's part of it. He was signed by Drew Rosenhaus, yeah. who is known to give out quite a bit of money. <laughs> yeah, so so there's there's that possibility, right? I, I think from an NFL, you know, what you showed on film, what, you know, is he a first-round pick? No, I don't think he's a first-round pick. Does he have first-round talent? It's borderline. Um, does he have second-round talent, third-round talent? Yes. But again, he hasn't produced it all. And so I, I think there's, I, I think he left a lot to be desired. I would agree with you there. Yeah. And, and so it'll be interesting to see how this offense fares without him. And um, I, I think that they will still be pretty good. Um, like you, you've said, we, I, I think that they have all the talent and the tools to do it, but um, it'll be, it'll be disappointing to, uh, to not have him on the field this year. So let's take a look. We've talked, you know, we've talked more about Michigan now. Let's take a look around the Big Ten a little bit. We talked a little bit about it yesterday, um, but what, what, are there any games that intrigue you? I know, you know, you were very excited to watch Michigan State versus Rutgers tomorrow or this week, right? Oh, I can't, I can't wait. The noon game. Uh, God, I hope that I'm not forced to watch that one. Um, you know, my in-laws, my family love them to death they're all spartans uh and so you know maybe they'll be wanting to watch that game i'm not sure i know that i know that our son who's nine months old will be wearing michigan state colors um, in the early afternoon and then he's going to be switching to michigan colors in the late afternoon uh before the michigan minnesota game but no i mean there's just a couple intriguing big 10 games i mean even ohio state nebraska uh, i I think ohio state's gonna murder them um, but does Nebraska, can they show any signs of being a better program? 
Uh, does is Ohio State as good as we think they are? If they are, they should probably go out there and beat them by you know 28 or more, mm-hmm. um, which I do think will happen. We'll get to our predictions a little bit later on in the week. Penn State, Indiana. I really like Michael uh, Penix Jr., the the left-handed quarterback for Indiana, who got hurt right before Michigan played him, um, and you know he had done some really nice things. Uh, he's an exciting player. Um, you know, can he can he create enough offense to go toe to toe with that Penn State team that, as you mentioned, is is pretty highly ranked? Uh, I think that's the three thirty game. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Even Wisconsin, Illinois, I think opens us up on Friday night. Um, so yeah. I'm just excited to watch Big Ten football. I I kind of told my wife, hey, I'm I'm kind of planning a twelve to twelve day. Uh, <laughs> you know, twelve hours of football from uh, from from twelve noon uh, to midnight. Uh, it's her actual birthday is on Saturday. So I'm either going to, um, you know, be sleeping on the couch, um, <laughs> or I'll have to find some way to make it up to her. I did take her to Weber's hotel, uh, this past weekend and, and, you know, try to try to be as good as I could possibly could be. Didn't that watch was, much football. That was a good way to so, get ahead of it. Get ahead of it there. That's, that's what I tried. What, what game, what game of the Big Ten excites you the most, and what game nationally has caught your attention, Justin? Um, so that the Penn State at Indiana game does uh, intrigue me the most, but actually the that Wisconsin Illinois game on Friday night, um, not not really because it's supposed to be a good game, but more because I want to see what Wisconsin's new quarterback looks like and how their offense looks like uh, without um, Jonathan Taylor. So um, it's more just kind of doing some scouting on Wisconsin more than uh, watching an actual good game. So that'll be fun to watch on Friday night. Um, And then nationally, um, they're really, you know, NC State goes to North Carolina, who who dropped the ball last weekend, unfortunately. Um, There aren't a ton of great games. Auburn's at Ole Miss. Um, Auburn's a three-point favorite there. Um, yeah, Oklahoma's at TCU. Oklahoma's a seven-point favorite against them. That, that should be a, at least fun to watch because they'll probably, you know, it'll probably be, what, 72 to 69 or something final score. So we can watch some points get put up. Um, I would guess that the, the biggest game across the board is – Iowa State at Oklahoma State in the Big 12. So Iowa State is ranked uh, 17th, and Oklahoma State is ranked 6th right now um, in their three-point favorites. So that'll be interesting. We haven't had many good, uh, you know, uh, we've had fun Big 12 games, but we haven't had many uh, Big 12 games where it's actually meaningful in the national um, national picture. So anything else uh, for you that you're looking at? I know Alabama goes to Tennessee. Um, we're yeah, I'm thinking no. of our, our college football playoff teams. Clemson is, I think, a 45-point favorite versus Syracuse. Um, so, you know, that tough ACC schedule is getting to Clemson once again. Yeah, I think the Oklahoma State-Iowa State game, whoever wins that game is probably, you know, again, as, as we look at the college football playoff, Michigan-Minnesota, whoever wins that game on Saturday night, um, and then Oklahoma State, Iowa State, whoever wins that game on Saturday, though one of those two teams are, or is probably the fourth team in the conversation along with Notre Dame mm-hmm. right now anyway, because you and I have kind of, we're kind of in lockstep here. Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State are three of the four teams. Uh, and then who is that fourth team? And so um, those will be the games that I watch. If, again, if Michigan is, is impressive in a victory over Minnesota, I don't think there's any reason why, at least early on in the season, you don't throw them into the mix. If 
Oklahoma State, six in the country right now, goes out there and and I don't even say like you know has the pants. Iowa State just looks good in the win. They're in that conversation, and I don't know who Notre Dame has this weekend, um, but they've got to have a, a bounce back game after beating Louisville twelve to seven in one of the uglier football games I've seen in some time. <laughs> uh, yeah, and they do they go to Pittsburgh actually, so. Um, it should be a, a game that they could easily win, um, but, you know, they haven't been in, as impressive. So if they kind of skate by a, once again, are you thinking maybe a Big 12 team, a one-loss Big 12 team can make it in over uh, a no. one-loss Notre Dame team? I don't think so. I, I think a one-loss Notre Dame if the loss is to Clemson. I even think, you know, a one-loss Michigan if the only loss is to Ohio State or a one-loss Penn State if the only loss is to Ohio State um, or Michigan. You know, Wisconsin, a one-loss Wisconsin. I think the Big Ten, the SEC, those two conferences have the have the greatest chance to put two teams in if it's a one-loss team, and they also have an undefeated. Uh, you know, Georgia, if they run the table the rest of the way. Florida, if they run the table the rest of the way, um, will put themselves in position. But the Big 12 – you know, Oklahoma was supposed to be something special. Texas was supposed to be back, uh, back right, for the 15th, 15th time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think the Big 12 has enough – I don't think they have enough credibility in the country uh, in college football that they get a two-loss team in there um, or maybe even a one-loss team. You know, the Pac-12, I think, is a, is a wild card uh, because, you know, if, if someone runs the table, they're in. If they go six and one – are they playing a, a Pac-12 championship? I think that they are. Um, so, yeah, I don't know where they come into the play, but they're, they're starting, I think, in another two weeks. Um, I'm just excited about this weekend of college football, Justin. It should be a great time, great theater in the Big Ten. Uh, you know, maybe when we're talking on, on Monday morning, we'll have a lot to say about Michigan. We'll have mm-hmm. a lot of questions answered, and that's exciting to me. So, Really looking forward to it. Later on this week, we'll get into some Don Brown conversation. Uh, we'll offer our predictions uh, for Michigan and, and certainly for the rest of the Big Ten. Uh, we'll talk about uh, our keys uh, and, and, and much, much more. Having a good time talking to you about Michigan football. Uh, glad to be to doing the Stadium and Main podcast. Thank you to our sponsors, Kapnick Insurance Group, uh, Wolverine State Brewing Company, and Weber's Hotel and Restaurant. Uh, my wife and I did just stay there over the weekend. We had a great room service. We were, we're a little more cautious. We didn't leave our room very much, but we had a balcony that overlooked the pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did swim in the pool. We got there a little bit early. We swam in the pool. Uh, we hung out on the balcony, got our room service, got drinks. Uh, it was really well done. Um, had a night out. A uh, great way to, to celebrate my wife's birthday. Uh, John did come with us. Um, but, you know, even though even though things have changed in this world, Weber's is still doing everything first class uh, and they're just they, they take care of their, their 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 patrons. They take care of the people. Um, you can learn much more by going to uh, Weber's Justin, thanks. Look forward to chatting again with you on Thursday. Sounds good. Can't wait. We'll, we'll be a few days closer to Michigan football, which is what we're hoping for. You know, we're just getting through this week to get to Saturday. So thanks again to, for everybody listening. This is the Stadium in Maine podcast with Michael Spath, and I am Justin Rowe. Have a great day.